0: You don't have to worry about your audience. They'll find you. Mm. And if you, I really believe that's true. If you pursue your passion, that your calling will become apparent. It'll find you and then your audience will find you.
1: That was Dr. Charlie Cartwright. And this is Guild Stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to Guild Stories, the podcast where every person has a story and it's the stories that connect us all. I'm Justin Rickliffs, founder and CEO of Guild Content, husband of Brooke and father of five young people, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, who happens to be my wife as well.
0: Hey, guys, I'm Brooke, owner of Reclaim the Home, Justin's wife and mother of five. We're so grateful you're here. This podcast is a place where we'll explore the stories of hustlers, dreamers, and doers, We're going for it by pursuing meaningful work and living life with purpose.
1: Welcome to Guild Stories. Man, we're super pumped today to have a keynote speaker, a leadership consultant, an employee engagement expert and workplace safety speaker. Super fun story uh, that we'll get into. Um, so, Dr. Charlie Cartwright, welcome to the show, my friend.
0: Thank you for having me. It's awesome to uh, to be here today.
1: Yeah, man. So um, here at Guild Stories, and, and and I don't know you super well, but we we met through um, through a good friend, a mutual friend, a guy named Rocco, who if uh, if you live in Kansas City. Um, and if Rocco rings a bell, you know exactly who Rocco is. But that's how that was our initial connection. You reached absolutely. out to me a few months back. Um, we had coffee or breakfast, I think, yeah. and uh, got to know your story a little bit. And I'm really pumped to have you share your story with our guests, man. No, it's our, a, our, our, our listeners. Sorry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Rocco's a great guy. And I'm glad that uh, he connected us. And we definitely had a connection there, you know, at breakfast. And so that was cool. I was like, I'm glad he put us in.
1: Yeah, man. So you have a, a really storied and, and really interesting background, um, have done like the big corporate thing, locked in and UPS and, um, or maybe FedEx. I might've gotten that wrong. UPS and FedEx. Okay. Okay. Got it. We got it. When I said it, I was like, I thought it was both actually. Um, and, and we'll hear about that. Played football in Nebraska. Like, I think you just have a, a lot of really interesting things. Um, but but let's start with, like, today. What are you doing today? And what's kind of work and, and your professional life look like right now? Yeah,
0: yeah, so started a company called People Success Labs. I'm the CEO, and it's all about helping people achieve uh, their their innate greatness, right, both personally and professionally. And I do a lot of consulting, as you as you mentioned, around workplace safety, culture, uh, employee engagement, leadership. And w- along with that, I do a lot of keynote speaking, a lot of workshops, breakout sessions at conferences. And I, I just love that to-, to get in front of an audience and really give them some a-, a unique perspective and move them in a way that they've never been moved before.
1: I love it, man. Um, how'd you kind of, I-, I don't know, stumble into the speaking thing, get into the speaking thing? Did you have a plan for that? Like, um, and, and, then, and then I want to walk it all the way back to kind of your upbringing and where'd you grow up and all that stuff too. Yeah. But um, I, I'd just be curious. I think there's kind of this innate uh, that we all have, like this fear of public speaking or whatever. So uh, how, how'd you get into it, man?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And if you would have told me 10 years ago that this was what I'd be doing for a living, I would have been like, you are, <laughs> you are uh, crazy. You're, you, yeah, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to get up in front of a bunch of strangers and talk for an hour about anything. Right. If anything, I will sit in the back of the room. But yeah, I was working at Lockton, and I was a new guy. I was a consultant uh, dealing with work compost injury management. And there was a group of people that were talking about a client that needed someone to uh, come and speak hmm. about safety. And they all had conflicting schedules. And I was a new guy; I didn't have enough work. And so I volunteered. I was just trying to be helpful. Like, I'll go. They're like, "You will. It's just down here, in Jeff City." Okay, I'm gonna have the client call you. The guy calls me and he's like kind of tentative, like, "Hey, uh, I was told that you would be willing to come down and speak to us." I said, "Yeah. What do you want me to talk about?" Well, can you talk about safety? Sure. You know about how you can get better and how you can prevent injuries, accidents. Yeah, I can do that. He says, "Well, can you talk for about forty-five minutes?" I was like, "Sure." Thank you. And so I went down there and did it, and I was just happy, like, "Hey, I'm going to get this forty-five minutes in and check this box." And I got off the stage, and I said, "Hey, that was pretty good." I was like, "It was." I said, "Yeah." Would you be willing to come to my cooperative? And that was kind of how oh. it started. And uh, and I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. That's awesome. absolutely love it. And I think you know people have a. I've read this before. I've heard it, but I don't think I really believe that. That you know your calling finds you, right? And your audience. You don't have to worry about your audience. They'll find you. Hmm. And if you, I really believe that's true. If you pursue your passion. That your calling will become apparent. It'll find you, and then your audience will find you because they're looking. That's great, man. Yeah.
1: I love it. Um, so, so we'll hit into the speaking thing a little more specifically as we go. But where did you grow up? Like, what was your childhood like? Um, you're a big, strong fella. You played football in college. Like, what was what was kind of your your upbringing and and where uh,
0: where did you call yeah. home? So, I grew up in Olathe, Kansas. Just a Small town, well, at the time it was small in the suburb of Kansas City. Now, yeah, it's, right. I think it's 135,000 now, but when I grew up there, it was about 35,000, 36,000, one high school. But it was tough. You know, uh, I got to say that we didn't have, we had a very small African-American community at that time, and now you're talking about I'm five years old in 1969, wow. right? And uh, so you're five Pretty fresh from the civil rights movement and all that. Of course, I'm a Mm. little kid. I don't understand any Mm. of this stuff, but I do. You have to, yeah. I do distinctly remember, you know, people calling me names, and Mm. I'm a little kid walking to school. Mm. I'm in kindergarten, and people are, you know, shouting things and Mm. threatening me. I'm talking about grown men, okay, and that was very scary for a little boy um, to to grow up. And I didn't understand the world that I was growing up in at all. Didn't get it. And, uh, and then, um, I think that, uh, that our, our home life too, we, we had some, I know a lot of families struggle with things and we, we struggle with some things and my father struggled with alcoholism and, mm. and so it was a very abusive, uh, he was a very abusive guy, there's just no way around that. And mm-hmm. so I think because of all that, I had a lot of uh, anger mm-hmm. issues and didn't know how to express it and, uh, you know, I'd get into scraps at school and get in trouble get suspended, you know, and kicked out. Mm-hmm. I remember one of the principals was like, hey, I figured out that you, you know, you fight on Thursdays because, you know, I'm going to kick you out of school on Friday. And he said, I'm giving you a three-day weekend. So I'm not giving you a three-day weekend anymore. He says, you're going to sit in the office. <laughs> and hey, uh, man, so you I was figured like, me out, he figured bro. me out. Yeah, so I was <laughs> like, okay, he's right about that, you know. And so then I remember going to the football practice and tackled some kid, hit him really hard, and a coach said, good job. I was like, oh wait a minute, I connected the dots. If I just wait until this kid says something mean to me, and if I just wait until
1: football he has practice,
0: the <laughs> I'll clean him up. And so I was super hyper aggressive. Well, that's really celebrated, and uh, and that was my way to fit in because I realized that I had some athletic ability, and other people didn't have that level of aggression. Um, you know, you've heard this saying, or this guy runs angry or this guy plays angry. Well, you know, I was one of those people. I was actually angry, Mm. you know. So that was why I think I was very successful in that that space. And that really gave me, it kept me out of the house a lot because of practice. And then I I worked with my grandparents cleaning office buildings and stuff. So it kept me out of the house quite a bit. And so that was a savior too. Taught me a lot of things discipline-wise. And uh, that's how I got into football. But that was my upbringing. It was pretty tough there. And so I was very limited view of the world. You know, that's before the internet. If you want to know anything about the world, you had to look at encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. So I had a very limited uh, world view. And so I felt like football was my way out. And so I was able to play well enough to get a scholarship to University of Nebraska. and Played down there for We were actually pretty good back then.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you (laughs) say that, it's like, oh, yeah, man, I just, like, got the scholarship to play at Nebraska. It's like, dude, like, one of the powerhouse uh, um, blue-chip college programs in the country, certainly at that time. Yeah, from Um,
0: 1970 to 2000, that was the winningest program by far in the nation. Uh, So we were were really top-tier and played with a lot of people that went on, won Heisman Trophies, Outland Trophies, All-Americans, NFL – players i mean a lot of we had a lot of talent there that's so it awesome was, it was pretty pretty unique
1: this this might
0: show my um
1: ignorance was
0: osborne your coach yeah you okay, know, was coach okay. what was that like you know when you're that young you don't understand the the ramifications and who these people are sure you just coach looking, at the yeah, time you know, right looking back it's like oh this guy you know and so it was a it was an interesting i have an interesting story there so um because he was just really influential guy, and, and he talked about things that once I got out into business and figured out that I could apply the lessons that I learned that he taught me through football, that that would really help me in business, right? But uh, I had, a, at the time, I had a really big anxiety issue. I didn't underst- know that I had a social anxiety issue, but mm. I st- and that affected me in class, specifically going to class i would go to class and look in there and see 150 strangers i just keep walking right i'll go tomorrow well tomorrow never comes and over time you know you 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 paint yourself into a hole and social anxiety wasn't even a term back in the early 80s right and what are you going to go to your coach and tell them you're scared to go to class i mean i didn't know why i didn't want to go i just now if i had my friends in there would i this is after the fact looking back I had teammates in a class I would go sure I would do well it wasn't a horsepower issue as far as my intellect it was completely an anxiety issue and so anyway I ended up you know getting suspended you know mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to school then I quit and this left the team after three years under less than ideal circumstances and I tell you that really hung over my head for mm-hmm. for quite a few years so one of my teammates had gotten into some trouble and uh went to prison you know, he had gotten into drugs and went to prison. Well, I found out about his story and how Coach Osborne wrote to him in prison, stayed in touch with him, and then when he was released, Coach Osborne met him at the prison gates, and to this day they meet once a week. So I had sent this guy a note, said, hey, keep doing what you're doing, and I'm proud of you, it's awesome. Well, he sends a note back, saying, hey, thank you for the encouragement, and, hey, I started this business helping people with substance abuse. You wouldn't mind giving me a shout-out on your social media platform. So I did. You know, I said, hey, I talked to 2,000 people about this and this. And he said, yeah. oh, so, this is awesome, man. He says, well, there's ever anything I can do for you, he says, let me know. I said, well, there is one thing. I said, you know, and I kind of explained to you, with uh, him, what I just did to you. And I said, I always wanted to apologize to to Coach Osborne about that. And so if there's any way you can make that happen, he said, well, hold on. he's going to do that right now. He said, I just left his office. So I hear him walk down the hall, you know, oh, uh, knocking on the door. Coach, somebody wants to talk to you. Hands in the phone. Next thing I hear, uh-huh. hello. Hi, coach. This is Charlie Carter. I don't know if you remember me. Oh, Charlie, yeah. I just here, you doing great things. You, you finished school and you got your doctorate. That's, just, that's such, just great. It's so hard to accomplish that. And that's amazing. You should be so proud of yourself and your family's doing well. Just so happy with you and so proud of you. And it's just awesome. I was stunned. I hadn't talked to him in 30 years, but he knew. All this stuff. And I said, Well, coach, um, hey, you know, this is what happened. And uh, I just wanted to apologize to you because I really enjoyed playing there and I really listened to the things you were teaching me. And and I uh, said, I just don't remember you doing anything that bad. Wow. That's what he said. So I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm in a hotel room. I'm waiting to speak downstairs. So I hang up the phone with him and I get the call, okay, we're ready for you. And I, I come down to this conference. And I give the speech, and the uh, head of human resources, well, you know, everybody's clapping, is like 150 human resources professionals. And I talked about employee engagement leadership, they're clapping, and uh, he, uh, he he says, Wait, hold on, hold on. So now, where did you play football at? You know? I said, Well, University of Nebraska, it was all Badgers, you know, and they're like, oh, Sure. Boo. <laughs> I've been I've been booed twice, both times in Wisconsin when they found out, you know. But uh anyway, they love their Packers up there and they love their Badgers. And so uh, he said, Well, hey, you know, we we did a little research, we we knew that and so he says, I kinda got a he got a he said I got an end down here with the uh, equipment manager, University of Wisconsin, we're the big red, you know. So he hands me this box and uh, I opened the box up and it's got a jersey in it, a game jersey. It's got the little W, but it's my number, and it's got my name on the back. And uh, I start crying. And the guy's looking at me like, "Uh, that's not what I was expecting. And So I explained that story, and I said, I feel like I got my number back today because I would never tell people that I played college football. The whole place exploded. Like, they just erupted in um, applause. uh, So you can't make that kind of stuff up. Like, I felt like I got my number back. Because people will always tell me, oh, I didn't know you played college football. You never said anything. Well, who's proud of, yeah, I played three years and got suspended and quit. Mm. That's not the story, mm. you know, that you want to tell. But it's what happened. And uh, I learned a lot of things there. And uh, obviously, I think that from a health standpoint, it's probably in my best interest that I didn't continue to play. Because I was super aggressive. I was played monster, you know, strong safety. So I was a hitter, man. I was coming up. Rock your world. I don't care. You know, you weigh three hundred. <laughs> scared pounds, right now. With three hundred pounds that that uh, that offensive tackle pulling. I figured out real quick if you catch them before they get rolling, you can stumble them back. But if they get rolling, they're gonna put you in the cheap seats. You know, so oh, I recognize that run play and get up there quick and and uh, shut it down. So anyhow, uh yeah, that that that's 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 my 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 background.
1: Holy cow man, there's so much in there that I don't want to we probably won't even have the time to unpack, but it's like gosh to think about a, a scared little boy who's dealing with stuff he shouldn't have had to ever had yeah. to deal with uh, the racial stuff, the father with alcoholism um, just man like sad like not the way it's supposed to be right yeah. and and we all cope and we have we have ways that we deal with our trauma most of them not helpful.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. That's Um, that's very true.
1: um, And and I've I've coped in in many of an addictive way um, myself. And to know that like your outlet was uh, rewarded even, right? With with your anger was rewarded and celebrated. Um, Man, that's like, it's just such a redemptive, neat story to hear you tell it and to be vulnerable and open up like that. I didn't know any of that. I've got goosebumps like, hearing you and and and, um i can only imagine how you felt in that moment getting that badgers jersey knowing like and and to think of you know one of the greatest coaches of all time being humble and open enough to take the time to receive the phone call and then like receive it with such grace and compassion and understanding it's like dude are you kidding
0: me Unbelievable. yeah he totally turned that call i'll never forget that for the rest of my life that's awesome it's awesome, unbelievable,
1: um, man. So then, like you, b- between those two poles, there, there were a bunch of jobs, and like you got into the shipping business, and like t- you know, kind of fly us through what what your career looked like after
0: yeah. after Nebraska. So starting at UPS, started on the dock loading trucks for a year, then I went driving for four years, and um, and that's when I really discovered that I had some some abilities outside of football, right? Mm-hmm. That I had the I ran I was a floater in Lincoln, Nebraska, so I ran what they call X. So if someone was on vacation, I ran the route, all the didn't do anything rural, but all the in town stuff. So I knew all the in town routes in Lincoln. So, you know, you're talking sixty routes that I had in my sure. head and then I could load all those routes too. So I was kind of a valuable employee that somebody called in sick in the preload, I could come and load those trucks and then go out and deliver and you could only work for like twelve hours and you had to be back, but But uh, I learned a lot of things, and I had a work ethic and a drive, and that was really good. And it's a high pressure crucible, and so I learned a lot, and then went into sales from there. Which uh, I was so shy, as you can imagine. And a driver, you know, even though I was a driver, all you got to do is say UPS, thank you, you know, say it (laughs) two hundred times. Sign here. Right. When I got into sales, I was just—I didn't want—I wanted to get off that truck because it's such a hard uh, job, and and I wanted to go into management leadership and things like that. Didn't know anything about it, of course, but they didn't have a, they didn't have op- operations opportunity for me. They had a sales opportunity. So I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go pursue that. And I remember the first six months where I was failing, you know, cause I was, I sit in the car. I was afraid to go right in there. Sure. There's strangers in there. I would go talk to them. I'd sit in the car, take 30 minutes right. to right. build up the courage, you know, and then I'd walk in there. And then I remember bumping into a A gentleman, Joe Reeves, on the streets of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and he saw me walking with my head down with my suit on. Took me to uh, lunch and asked me what's going on. He said, hey, you need a tape. That's what you need, a tape. And I was like, a tape? Now, this is, you know, we're talking in the early 90s here. Okay, so a tape, we're talking cassette tape. (laughs) And, you know, with the spools that you had in your car, he's talking about a tape. And I was like, what are you talking about a tape? I need some help. And so, anyway he got me this Zig Ziglar tape. Oh, come on. Zig I love it. Ziglar. Love it. I'd never heard of it, okay? Maybe the greatest uh, sales trainer of uh, all time. Of all yeah. time, right? And I remember wearing that tape out. People don't know how much, they don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. And, all his concepts, positive attitude, right? No stinking thinking. Yeah, stinking yep, thinking. Yep. and Keep chopping PhD, wood. PhD, right? <laughs> Poor, hungry, and determined. And I had never heard these concepts, your positive attitude. And so I was just eating it up because that's not something I grew up with at all. Didn't yeah. I, totally new concept. That was a life-changing event for me. And that opened up the door to all the things now, right? You know, Augmandino to Les Brown to... Um, you know, Napoleon Hill, yeah. right? Yeah. All the people that I that are out there that I can just glean from, you know. Um, and uh, now with technology, we have YouTube. And I was explaining this to my son. I was like, hey, if we wanted to get Warren Buffett in this living room, how much would it cost? We we'll want to talk to him for an hour. I don't know, probably a million dollars. I said, yeah, probably a million. But I said, we can go on YouTube and listen to him for free. He said, he'll talk to us. So understanding those things, uh, that was a life changing event. But the door opener was the Zig Ziglar uh, cassette tape. That's great. Yeah, and I bought That's a program. Great. The guy that gave me the tape, I bought a program from him. I paid nine hundred and ninety nine dollars for this program, and it had like twelve cassettes in there, and it had a booklet and a and a Walkman with a headset. <laughs> and then you had it under your bed, and you pull it out every night, and it's thirty minutes. And I was listening to these things. A little briefcase with it. And I that was the best $999 I ever spent. Now the actual value of that was probably what, 99. You know, 99? You know and the salesman was probably making 450, but that was the best investment ever. And so now you know I've got this hunger and thirst that'll never be quenched to learn and get better and all those things. But that was the catalyst for me, and it's a whole new world. And understanding that world, the better I understand that world. I'm talking about the thought world and my attitude. And physical to spiritual to emotional, the better I understand that world, the better my physical world becomes. Yeah, It's incredible. Yeah, it's
1: that's incredible. huge, man. Um, yeah. and, and and again, just triggered so many thoughts and, and questions. But, um, man, I, I tell people, maybe I'm biased because like I came up in a similar fashion of like learning how to sell, learning how to kind of put yourself out, learning how to be brave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can't think of a more valuable skill professionally than to learn how to sell because we all are selling right and there's such a stigma to this um oh you got to be slick or sleazy or behind the back or taking your big commission or this and that um but man like i i I, there's no way um you could you could quantify how valuable for a, a young person coming up in the in the world to learn how to Sell to an actual human, right? Um, because we're you know we're so distracted with technology and and things have become so easy that I feel like we've we've lost that. Not lost. That's too dramatic. But it, it's a rare skill to think of a guy like you working up the courage for thirty minutes to be like, dude, I got to go knock <laughs> on this door and like yeah. try to rep this shipping service or whatever right. the case is. Right? right? Like it's it's such a terrifying it's it's lunacy when you actually talk about it. But in that moment, it feels like uh, a 100-pound weight around under your neck. Like, Big I time. can't get out of this car, bro. Big
0: time. <laughs> and then uh, how I got around that one, I think, the beginning was I understood that the shield, right, that UPS yeah. shield was huge. So I was like, wait I'm there, they're afraid of me walking in. Like, well, do we do something wrong? UPS is here. <laughs> what, what happened? No, no, everything's good. You know, I just want to see how things, oh, yeah, your service is great. Oh, well, you know, and that was yeah, the whole lead yeah. in, and uh, I understood that. And so that was, I had that brand that I, underst- that I started to understand that this is a huge brand. UPS yeah. is so respected. And so I am I'm, I'm, I'm I represent UPS. Oh, United, and we, we called it United Parcel Service back oh, then. Sure. We didn't say UPS. Sure. wasn't that great, United Parcel Service. Oh. So and intimidating, uh, big time. Yeah. So it was a huge. And so from there, I you know, decided that 10 years into that, um decided that it was time for a career change. You know, it was very, uh, you know, they it's a very kind of an in-your-face leadership style that mm-hmm. they had at that time. I think they've tried to make some adjustments, but I think that's still mm-hmm. alive and well. And I just didn't fit with me. And so I went back to school, and that's when I finished my bachelor's in my doctor degree, but meanwhile, nice. I started nice. working for a company that's now known as FedEx Ground. And from in that company, those de- that decade, I spent on the admin side a little bit of it, and then operations. And so, UPS, I was an employee, operations, leadership, sales. Now I am leadership at FedEx, but leadership in operations. Huh. But I had all this operations background, sure. And so, that company, you know, UPS, was around nineteen oh seven. Hey, we already know how to do it. You just listen. Here's how you do it. Keep it on the rails. Don't screw right? it up. Yep. Or when I went to FedEx Ground, that company was founded in 85. They didn't know everything. So they're like, hey, if you got a
1: you know, better got a idea, idea. Ooh, right. take it in.
0: Right. So there's probably half a dozen things that, that are policy now that I came up with. That's cool.
1: That's cool. When I was there
0: and it was just in the trying to run a better operation. And so and that, that company's been hugely profitable. Matter of fact, that's their most profitable. The ground side, last I knew of all the entities that make up the FedEx family ground was the most profitable. Mm-hmm. And so I have some pride in that. Sure. Because, uh, you know, I remember when we crossed 1 million packages delivered in a day and I was there, did 2 million. I was there for 3 million and that growth and the things I learned in that crucible were huge. You just can't, um, you can't get that kind of training anywhere else that you, you're tasked to, to move numbers, right. And to deliver a high level of customer service and to do it safely so to be able to figure that out and 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 do that for a decade, I'm really proud of that that record. Yeah, man, as I'm you sure. should be.
1: You, you've said it twice, um, and I've picked up on it both times, but what's crucible mean to you? And what's that, what's the importance? Because, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I've picked up on that a couple of times. I yeah. love to hear how, how you would describe that concept. So I
0: remember, this is from, like, chemistry, you know, and yeah. I wasn't paying that close of attention in, <laughs> in high school, but I knew that the crucible... Right. And we'd have these tongues and we put that under this flame mm-hmm. and we'd put some chemicals in there and heat them at a very high temperature. And that crucible held those chemicals and it was made of a material that it would not blow up, burn up, break up. And that crucible, I mean, we probably heated it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of degrees. I don't even know if we got up to a thousand degrees, but I remember, you know, it would glow. It was so hot. Mm-hmm. And so that crucible to me represents Pressure represents expectation, it repre- represents demand, and there are chemicals that burn off in the crucible, right? And what's left is what's truly uh, useful and there. And so when you're in that type of environment, it exposes who you are and what you are, right? And so I feel like in my life, there's been so many times where I've been in that crucible, and it's not fun in there, right? <laughs> no one would willingly Hot. get in right. there, right? right. But what's left Mm. after the fact is valuable, and that's what you're looking for. Mm. And so I'm really proud of those things. I wouldn't voluntarily repeat any of these lessons that I've had, but the fact of the matter is I can stand in front of an audience and speak from experience Mm. and not just from a theory. And I've done it, and done it at a high level, and done it repeatedly, and then more than that, I've been a student of the game and I study the science behind that. And so now I know scientifically how to get people motivated, how to keep them motivated uh, and how to move numbers the right way uh, with permanency, not with a temporary uh, solution. So that's, I'm just really, I really feel great about where I'm at, you know, And from an intellectual standpoint, professional standpoint and uh, what I can bring to the table for people and help them uh, achieve their highest self, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about creating better leaders, you're not just a better leader at work. You're a better leader at home. You're a better leader in your community. And so you're impacting your children. You're impacting your family. You're impacting other people's family. And you're impacting, impacting positively your community. So that means that if I have a male that I'm working with, then he will become a better father. He will become a better brother. He will become a better son, same thing, female. They'll become a better sister, better daughter, better mother. We're just making better people, mm-hmm. and the the affect of that, right, is all of this positive things that happen in the business world. Because yeah. when people are at their best, they're delivering their best, they're doing their best. The best results and outcomes come. It makes sense. Connecting those dots. Totally. And so, but too many times we focus on the result mm-hmm. instead of the process. We focus on the process result will come but we got to understand that process and to get into the process understand it the science from a biological standpoint here's why people do what they do
1: and what, <clears throat> what are some of those learnings or what are some of those scientific pieces that you like take into a presentation yeah. or a consulting yeah. engagement or
0: it's a big deal so i had this and i didn't know when i dove into the what am i going to find cuz i had all these <clears throat> assumptions philosophies or, sure. that i picked up along the way hey my grandfather said this Coach Osborne believed in this, right? Coach Wheeler's told me this, you know. Daryl Rodrock, you know, gave me this advice, you know, and so I formulated said this or, yeah, all this sure. into my who I am. But I wanted to put that to the test. Does, does if I go back and research, this is the science support this, or have I just got lucky, right? And so, because what I was interested, what I was after was, <clears throat> are there things that I'm doing that I need to keep doing? All right, great. Are there things that I'm doing that I need to stop doing? I want to stop them. And there are other things I should be doing that I'm not doing. I need to start them, right? So that's what it is. And so when I went into this, I had an assumption that, hey, I might be able to figure out how to support a team in the U.S., but man, if I went to overseas and went to Australia or Canada, you know, it'd be different because the culture's different. Mm. And how? And so, but the science doesn't support that. The science shows that human beings, we have different cultures cultures, different beliefs, things like that. But what actually motivates us at our core is universal. And that shocked me, right? And so there's one study I'll just point out. It's from the Mercer group. They wanted to understand the most important thing to employees. What is it? And so not just in the U.S., but around the world. So they went to 22 different countries. They visited all four hemispheres, put a top 10 list together. Money was always in the top 10, as you might imagine. Sure. Never finished, then higher than number eight. What higher than number eight? Me, never finished higher than number eight. Whoa. But what shocked me, number one, universal. United States, Australia, China, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Africa, uh, UK, Canada. Number one was respect. Mm. People want to be respected. Mm. And anytime people feel like they're not being respected, it's a problem. Right? And that's personally or professionally. Sure. And so, so many times, either directly, deliberately or inadvertently people feel disrespected It's a it creates issues at work and so a lot of the issues we have are around that fact and so teaching leaders how to respect people but also what disrespect looks like and so if you understand those two things man you're a long way down the road right and uh, I was shocked too I remember the, when I got the research first time I rolled it out in the workshop and I talked about it and about fifty percent of the feedback was, "Hey, we believe you, but you didn't tell us how to do it." I was like, "What?" I was shocked. So now I, you know, I spell it out, and here's how. Here's what that looks like. Here's know. how to build respect. Exactly. Here's how to identify. show respect, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Or, or this, if you if you do this, it's interpreted as disrespect.
1: Which sounds um, fairly basic and academic. It sounds like it. Does. Um, but I imagine it's like wildly eye-opening to most folks to be like, oh, crap, I didn't see that about myself. Right. I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know it might be right. received that way received by that him, way. him or her. Exactly.
0: Or because um, your employee, their perception is their reality, regardless of your intention. If they're perceiving it as disrespect, you're disrespecting them. And so you have to have enough humility to understand that <clears throat> and then fix it, right? And so that's what I what I, what I teach people every day, and and I love to see the turnaround. Because all of a sudden, you start getting people at their best at work every day, and people are always astounded by what people can accomplish when they're at their best. And they feel like they're respected, their work's being respected, they're listened to. Man, all you need to do is point them in the direction get out of the way yeah. at that point, and they'll, they'll do the rest. So it's a, it's an amazing thing, but it's, uh, people think, oh, it can't be that simple. Well, yeah, it is. And it's not being done, mm-hmm. because I, I travel all over the country, and, and I hear that theme, over again. What, what, someone in a leadership position is is disrespectful. Huh. Every day, frequently, unbelievable.
1: How, so if, if, I'm just, I'm fascinated. How, if the leader is the one kind of perpetuating this disrespectful culture, how, like, how do you deal with that? Because if it's the leader, my guess is then, you know, if you can't fix it from the top. It, it, the adoption gets tricky, right? Like, exactly. ha, how do you how do you tackle that? I mean, is that a tough conversation with the leader themselves? Like, how do, what do you do there?
0: Yeah, it is, and it has to start from the leader, and that's that first conversation. If they're not going to buy in, then we don't have we don't need to have another meeting, right? Because it's not going to work, right? Right, and, that's I, don't fair. Want, yeah. and I don't want I don't want anyone yeah. saying, "Well, we we did this and you didn't work." No, it didn't. You know, that's not the case. You didn't buy in, and yeah. so when they buy in, and then people are going to follow the leader, right? And so typically. It's very few times that people are performing at a high level and they say, hey, we want to look for ways to improve. I love that because they're already clicking on all cylinders sure. and I can sure. I can I can really help them refine it. Typically, when I get called in, things have gone bad, right? Mm-hmm. I had one leader. i never forget this story. I'm like, well, when did you know you had a problem? <laughs> and at first, I, I say, hey, if, are you going to buy in? I need to know right now before we even get going because if you're not, then... You're busy. I'm busy. I don't want to. I got your other, time. other people to help. Exactly. Yep. Yep. This is not going to work. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to take your money for six months and then say, "Hey, uh, didn't work." And I, all, all along, I know I didn't get your buy-in. I have to have your buy-in. So he said, "Well, every year." And it's, I think they had about a hundred, under 150 people in the company. But he said every year he took his company, his whole company, on all-expense-paid vacation for a week. That's one of the things he did. I like, was like. Really Cool. That's great. Sounds cool. Can yeah. I go? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He said, last year we went to Cabo San Lucas. I like, oh, it's cool. And he said, uh, he said, half the, he said, I chartered the planes said half the seats were empty. He said, I knew I had a problem when I couldn't get my people to go on an all expensive paid vacation. We got a problem. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> so we really, uh mm. you know, put a survey out and a lot of people were afraid to fill it out and the people that did, it was tough stuff on there. But they they embraced it and uh, and really changed their culture around, and and did this inside of a year. Okay, so um, they had their they had their best year financially ever, right? Uh, their turnover was went from triple digits down to double digits, which was amazing, low double digits. But what topped it off for the owner was at the end of the year they had a Christmas party. And uh, I was at this country club, and they invited me to be the keynote. Mm. Same country club they did the year before. And he said the hostess comes up to him, the owner, and says, hey, did you get all new people? And, and he's like, well, what do you mean? So last year, said, everybody was sitting in there. It was like a library uh, before we started. so They're all in there buzzing, 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 buzzing. But he said last year, he says, Dr. Charlie, we brought in a speaker. And you know, we ate, we gave the awards. Awards banquet, the speaker spoke, and a few people who weren't there for their awards. So him and the head of resources, human resources, put all the awards in this box, and we turned around, the room was empty. Everybody oh left. Gosh. Oh, my gosh. He said, this year, the country club said, hey, we're closing. They had to kick <laughs> them out. Time to get out. <laughs> they had to kick them out, and he said, they went across the street, and there was a place open there, and they stayed there for a few more hours. So we, you know, in, in, the, in the course of 12 months, we shifted that culture around wow, significantly. Man. and It was really cool to be a part of something like that, but that just shows you the power of it. But our foundation was we started with the conversations leaders were having with their people and how they treated them, that respect. And it was a it was a game changer for
1: them. Is there, um, I, I, I've snooped and <coughs> stalked on your, your LinkedIn a little bit and your website, um, and, and, and you at least have engaged or maybe follow Brene Brown's stuff. Oh, big time. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I, 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 I was a little hesitant to she's go there. A, she's awesome. Okay because I think um, and I'm just like 30 pages into her leadership book I'm like right at the beginning of dare to lead and it's and it's it's already great I can tell exactly how impactful it's going to be as a leader to read that book um, but she she kind of uh, contradicts not contradict she compares very early on in the book these leadership styles between fear and shame- based leadership versus you know vulnerable, empathetic brave she calls it brave leadership which is from the heart not from the fear-based centers of our biology um and 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 what you're saying like even and again i don't want to put words in your mouth but like it sounds like maybe even within that exact company they you helped them shift from this uh maybe directive fear-based do as i say fall in line, damn it, kind right. of mentality, um, which doesn't breed any engagement. Man, like so people right. don't, like they might want your paycheck because they got to pay the bills, but they don't want to be around you exactly. or your people, right? Versus like a year later, they're going, dude, let's keep going. Like where, right. where can we go across the street? Because I want to be around these people. Right. I want to be engaged with these people. I want right. to have um, a, a like-minded mission and and a purpose Far beyond a paycheck. If that's eighth in the list of the worldwide data, like it makes sense because um, we all we all can go make a buck somewhere. Uh, especially nowadays. Especially right. nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to be involved in something that feels alive and vulnerable and real and authentic, I think the the word you used before we started uh, several times was authentic. Um, it's huge, man. Like it's just huge. And, and uh, yeah, I affirm the work you're doing because I, I, that's how that's how it felt when you're saying that is like, dude, you helped them guide from this, you know, place of maybe rigid, uh, fearful shame to this, like, open-minded kind of culture,
0: which that's, is cool. That's the way. I remember studying Southwest Airlines for a while, and I had taken them on. I was working on my MBA, and we had the project, and we studied that work. Which I'm glad we just randomly picked that organization, and I was like, it's "Good oh one to God. pick!" Right? Uh, <laughs> right? I was like, "Wow, that was huge!" And so they haven't put this data out since, because I'm sure for competitive reasons. But a few years back, they put out this data on their hiring, and they're a company that they open up a job. They don't just keep the job posted forever. When they get whatever their prescribed uh, prescribed number of applicants, they close it. They've got enough applicants, and then they'll select from. Group, but uh, I want to say it was about six years ago, seven years ago. I think it was 2013. They hired 1,532 people, right? And for those jobs, they had just shy of 120,000 applications for 1,500 jobs. 120,000. Yeah, that's what a, that's what a great culture looks like. Dang. So they're cream of the crop. Okay, that's who they're picking. Everybody in the airline industry wants to work for them because mm-hmm. they're the best and how they treat their people. Now, because their people are being treated well. They're protecting that culture. So if you come in there and you're not doing what you need to do, you're not going to be able to stay. Leaders won't have because everybody's a leader. They're not going to allow it. So that's what it can look like. And the the companies of the future, the ones that are going to prosper in this new economy, get that. Mm -hmm. And the companies that don't are going to suffer because the good people are going to go to your competition. Because if your competition has figured out that formula, I call it the people's success formula, they figured out that formula and you haven't, you're gonna suffer and they're gonna beat you. The best teams always win. Yeah. They do, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean there's teams that win, but the best teams always mm. win. Mm. And the best teams tend to have the best people, right? Because they've gravitated there. And uh <clears throat> I think Gino Aram has said this. He said there's two kind of coaches. He said there's coaches that coach great players and there's ex coaches. Right, said, because <laughs> if you don't have great players, doesn't matter. I don't that's care good. how good a coach you are; that's it doesn't great. matter. So, in business, think about that: you're getting the most talented, brightest, hardest working minds coming to your organization. You're going to beat your competition, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. And their best people are going to come for you because that's where they want to be. Yeah. Uh, so it's an amazing thing, and it's possible, and, and that it's the future. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You're uh, just a couple weeks ago. I was in
1: Denver. <clears throat> we have um, a client in the pizza business, our friends at Papa John's, we do some regional work for them. And, uh, I was out there with their franchise group and, uh, we had some meetings and we jumped on an airport shuttle to go get the rental car. And there was a Southwest gal. Um, I I, I don't know her exact role. I'm, I'm assuming she was a uh, flight attendant and, and super friendly. I mean, exactly who you would think of, right? Like you picture Southwest, she's uh, probably had worked there 30 years, like just was friendly as can be. And and the guy I was with, Mike, was like, and again, he's Papa John's guy. He's like, hey, just so you know, like we've set up a, a discount code. Anybody that works for Southwest across the country can get this this code and you can pop it in. We're just really thankful for the way you serve our country and the way, you, you know, we always fly Southwest is what he said. And he goes, man, I'm just blown away by your people. Like every 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 terminal, every place we go – everybody's friendly. And she goes, she like, not in a mocking way, but she kind of like scoffed. And she was like, yeah. And if you find the one that's not like they need to be fired right away. Cause that is not our culture. And, and and to your point, the culture keeper, like that's not the CEO. That's not a a marketing slogan. That's on some weird website. Mm -hmm. That's not a big fancy Super Bowl ad. Like that's the DNA of the culture is this, this gal who's off work, not being paid to say that and she's like yeah like those people if there's a southwest employee who's not friendly and helpful they should be fired <laughs> it's just awesome man yeah
0: another southwest story i was flying into louisville kentucky i was on the last flight in there and so i flew southwest that's my yeah. airline yeah and so i get on the shuttle to go to the the hotel i was staying at the brown hotel it's a famous hotel in louisville kentucky and uh with a flight crew that was their last flight so I'm on the shuttle. Well, here comes my whole crew that I just flew in with, and so it's just them and me on the shuttle to the hotel. So I'm a fly on the wall, I'm not saying a word. I'm just listening. What are they? So I'm thinking, okay, they're going to be complaining about their job or this. And, and they talked about a couple of uh, interesting uh, yeah. guests that they had flying, <laughs> um, but uh, other than that, they were talking about, hey, you know, we're going into this lane, or hey, we're in this airport now. Hey, we're, we bought these planes. Did you see? Like they're talking about what the company was doing. The Crazy. whole they're off work. Yeah, yeah. And they're talking shop all the way to the hotel. So I thought that spoke to their culture. Man, so good. Uh, that was pretty cool. That's so good.
1: Gosh dang, I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> um. So so you've you know again clearly built a uh, a really successful track record kind of corporately. You're you're you know you launched uh, the speaking and consulting business, and that's clearly going well um I, i'm curious as a fellow kind of content creator and writer and, and guy who shares random ideas on occasion um and who does so for clients um i i'm i'm really interested to hear kind of your approach and how you've built um you know you're, you're not you're not yeah zuckerberg by any means in terms of followers on LinkedIn, but like yeah you've got yeah yeah you've you've ridden a really neat Path, I think you've written a really neat path um, by creating compelling content on LinkedIn specifically, and your other social media channels. But um, I'd love for you to share the story you shared with me in terms of hey, last May you were kind of doing this, and then all of a sudden you felt compelled to hey, I need to create a consistent cadence around content and what that's done for for you and your business.
0: Yeah, yeah, I actually had to sit down with a young, really young guy, Jake Bajorseth, is his name. I'm talking to him and he has his own social media marketing company. I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, he's telling me, yeah, it's my first time, you know, out from my parents' house and it's Christmas. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you had this meeting and I'm like, going, I didn't know the guy was like 19, you know what I mean? <laughs> but the genius in this yeah. space yeah. and I grew up with yeah. it. And so he and I'm taking notes. I'm just asking him questions, taking notes about content and what that mm-hmm. looks like and, He's telling me because you know he knows my speaking. He says, You got twenty thousand PowerPoint line PowerPoint slides. He says, Most people struggle with content. Yeah. He said, You got plenty of content. You just gotta, gotta figure out it, bro. You right, know, how right. you're gonna put it out there and add value yeah. to your clients. Yeah. So he gave me some ideas. So I started to do more research on it and study it and understand I need to be consistent and have a cadence. Hey, what's my message? And and how can I add value to my clients that come in or prospects or Business professionals come in and, and, and take a look at it. And so that was around May I started. And back then I was getting about 115 views a week or something. And so I really spent some time and I, I enjoy it, the, the creative side of it. But uh, so now, so it started last May. So now we're here in uh, February 2020 and I'm at, I think last week I did 13,000 views, which I was really. You know pleased about that and of course it's growing exponentially and the thing about he told me was that social media doesn't sleep mm. it's 24 7 365 so I could have a post that you know I go to bed and it's done 1200 views and I'm like oh man and it's got some great engagement I wake up tomorrow morning it's got 2500 views right well it's got 2500 views because my people in India my people in Saudi and my people in Australia and my people in South Africa you know my people in China have Viewed it and yeah. commented, and so that's really cool because we are in a global marketplace now, mm. right? Mm. And uh, so this value is 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 global. And then the other thing I learned, which is really cool, and my cousin told me this. Who's an air, airline pilot? She says, Charlie. She says, doesn't matter what air, air air traffic control tower you fly into, and she's flown all over the world. She said they all speak English. It's the international language of aviation. The international language of business is English. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah serious business professional in another country, English is going to be their second language. So, that is for it to be our native tongue, that's that's uh, super huge. Uh, unfair advantage. Uh, it's yeah. Unfair advantage, yeah. but it is an yeah. advantage, and so we have to understand that. So, when you're speaking in social media, that lives beyond that day, and that it has a potential for a global reach. So, I know... In the near future, I'll, I've been to Canada twice now, but I know in the near future I'll be across the pond in the U.K. speaking, right, or France That's or awesome. Germany based on someone saying, hey, I've been following your content. I've got this conference, and you're the, we wanna, you're the we guy we need. We want bring you in, yeah. you know, yeah. or our culture. Yeah. Hey, we, we need this fixed. Yeah, I love so,
1: it. Yeah. I love it. What, what specifically or practically have you – do you post once a week, once a day? Like, what's your rhythm? Like, how do you stay um, – Discipline. I mean, there's this there's, there's this kind of saying in the in the writing world of like, um, don't wait for the inspiration to write because you're yeah. never going to be inspired to write. Yeah. And I think there's this huge misconception of like, um, oh yeah, I'm just going to have these amazing ideas that are going to flow out of me and I'm going to be super pumped to like crank out 500 words a day or, or whatever right. the case. Um, well, so what's been your kind of creative process specifically? That's
0: another great question. So I've discovered the same thing. Like writers write. So you just have to sit down and start writing and do it every day and do it about the same time every day. And some nights I love it if I get inspired the night before say sure. hey, write a note I'm going to this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. But that doesn't happen that often. And so now hey what are you feeling so you just got to write some content and and the thing about it, I think Seth Godin talked about this. He says you're going to write great content but in order to get to the great content, he says, you're going to write a lot of average content. He says, that's just how it goes, but you've got to yeah. be consistent. So I post every day.
1: <clears throat>
0: there's Dr. Charlie LinkedIn. There's People Success Labs LinkedIn. Dr. Charlie Facebook. People Success Labs Facebook. I'm consistent. Those, those two platforms, very consistent. You know, Instagram, I'm just, just still yep. trying to find my yeah. foothold there. And then Twitter, same thing. Don't have the following on those two, although I don't post as frequently. Yeah. On Instagram and Twitter, Instagram handful of times a week and then Twitter, you know, a few more times a week, but um but my main focus is where I'm getting the most traction, which is LinkedIn, Facebook, and so every day on those mm-hmm. platforms once a day. And then it's important to engage with your audience. Like when they they comment, it's important to absolutely leave a meaningful yeah. comment and yeah. notice it to like it. And then the people that I'm following, man, they put something out there. Rockstar I'm gonna say, hey this is Rockstar nice this work, is great. man, yeah. And, you know, right. That inspires me and gives me ideas as well. So, but the beautiful thing about it is that your content can be retasked, okay? So, I'm writing all these posts every day. So, there's a quote, and then the post may be a page worth of content, okay? And I'm tracking that content to what's resonating with the public versus what's not resonating. Well, The things that are resonating, that's books being written at oh. the same time. <laughs> For sure. So, I pull those are my chapters and then I add some count, some more value to it, maybe add some research and data to it. Boom. I'm ready. So are you writing a book? I've got, in process? I've yeah. got, yeah. I've got two done right now. I haven't been published yet. And then awesome. My third one's in the, in the, in the works right now. So awesome. that's exciting too. So yeah. that's how you double your, you know, get the most bang for your buck is sure. taking that and then expanding on it. And that's, that's your book. And then of course there's things that, I write in LinkedIn that also show up on the stage when I speak, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's fun. I really enjoy it, and it and it pushes you to be creative and to really live in the in the in the information. So people are always amazed, like, "Well, how do you how do you know this data? How can you pull that out?" And I'm like, "Because I, I swim in it every day, right? You know, I, sw- I swim in it every day." Because um, I was just thinking that um, when I told you the Southwest, it wasn't 120 thousand. It was one hundred eighty-two thousand six hundred thirty-two applications. That, that's the exact number. Round Just number. <laughs> so, but it's because you you're yeah. in it every day. Yeah. You know? And so
1: you, you. And those nuggets or anecdotes and stories or speeches or wherever. they that, that Makes sense. And yeah. then people.
0: And then I love it when I when I get off the stage and people come to me and they tell me stories and I'm like, oh my god, that's a great story. And I will write it down. And then I will say, hey, you know, I was in Minneapolis and, you know, a lady So-and-so came up so to was me going and, through and this, boom, and yeah. she said this and that was really valuable. And then. Another fifteen minutes, you know, just like that, and so I love that because everyone out there has something to teach you. Absolutely, and you just got to be humble and open to it. And but if you're open and humble every day, man, the stories are all around. What, it, what did Warren yeah. Buffett say? Knowledge is like compound yeah. interest. He's a hundred percent right. And so you're you're just compounding every day, and, and you're getting wiser and better at what you do.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant, man. I love it. So, are you? Writing early in the morning. Do you write late at night? Do you have a, what's your hat? What's your discipline?
0: I write in the morning. At I night, I, I I do a lot of thinking at night. Cool. I, I I do a lot of reading at night and looking at images, looking yeah. at uh, sometimes an image will inspire me. Sure. Other times a quote or a post uh, will inspire me. You had a post I'm coming in on a few weeks back, and that inspired me and gave me an idea in a different direction. Yeah. So I'm yeah. always looking, and then I have books that I'm always in too. Yeah. And people one of the big complaints that I hear people, ah, oh, you know, I try to read but I just get bored. Me too. So here's the solution. <laughs> I don't read one book at a time. I have like eight going. And so I'm bored with this book. I'll pick up this one. It's awesome. And and I get bored with that I'll pick up the other one again. And I so I have about eight that are at different stages but it keeps me interested. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is just keep going. And within that chapter, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know that. But that applies to this, this, this and this. It ties yeah. things together. Yeah. that the knots. It's kind of like um the connecting the dots kind of like a pixel. The pixels in a picture where I remember getting my um my first um high def TV is like 1065, right? Now I got 4K. Right. A 1065 is like a like crap. right. I'm like what? I thought that was good. You know now I can see the
1: plasma TV know, that cost yeah. 10 grand back. Oh in the day. my God yeah. man.
0: Yeah. You know I can see every I can I can I can see every dimple on this person's face, right? You could just it's amazing, it's incredible. Totally. And so that's I noticed what, that
1: in the Super Bowl they right? they um they got in it, handsome fella, good looking, successful coach, but they got so close to Kyle Shanahan. I'm like, Hey bro, like I don't need to see his ear hair. Like I right. really don't. Like exactly. He's a good looking dude. Like just
0: zoom yeah. back, back out. Yeah, just come look, back a little bit. Love the flat
1: bill, looks good, all that. But like, come on, man.
0: Yeah, I, I, I find myself looking at guys going, man, you not using the right razor, you know, <laughs> miss some stuff here, you know, you know. But hey, it's uh, yeah, it's real. You're bro. an athlete, you know. Get somebody to help you with your skincare. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, right? Because of the the pixels, but that's it's right. just and so that's where, when you're swimming in it, the picture just gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And the more clarity you have, the more powerful and impactful your message will be with people because it's very clear.
1: Yeah, where you're coming from. What What are some of those pieces that have been Pegged as chapters. Like, what are, what's the stuff that's resonating that you're creating? Like, what are people going? Oh man, preach! Give me more of that. Like, yeah. what's what's connecting to folks? So,
0: anything to do with the value of time and how fleeting it is, and how valuable it is. And you know, we just had the the example of uh, you know the tragedy with the Kobe Bryant and everyone that was on board that that aircraft. Is that you know here's a guy that's wealthy, it's famous, and had by all, all everyone involved had a lot going, done. It's over within an instant. So the thing about it is we don't know, no one knows. We know about our past. We know about what we're doing today, but we, no one knows how much sand we have left in that hourglass. We don't know. We don't know how much time we get. So if we don't know how much time we get, it's really important to maximize that. So anytime I, I, I speak on that, that's a big thing. Another one is overcoming adversity, huge. I think when you're going through adversity, you feel alone in the world, it's alone, just me. But if you read, you'll find out that, man, it's, it's a prerequisite to where you wanna go. You're gonna have to overcome some level of adversity in your life. So that really resonates with people that, hey, you're going through it, but how did you overcome it? Oh, yeah. what can I do? How can I get better? Personal growth is a big one. You know, how can I get better with my relationships? Positivity. There's so much negativity in the world. When you're talking about positivity, it, people gravitate to it yeah, because they, they got enough of the much. other right, stuff, right? You know, um, this is bad, this is terrible, and this is horrible. Well, hey, what can I do about yeah, it? That's right. right? Oh, well, here's something you can do to impact the people around you, and the ripple effect is here. So those are some themes that I see that really resonate that people are thirsty for. Yeah. How to have a more positive life? How do I? How do I grow personally? How do I maximize my time? How do I have more meaningful relationships? That's that's huge stuff, man. Well, oh,
1: man, it makes sense because you, you you've become and 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 you're not alone, right? But like you're doing a tremendous job of being a signal in a super noisy world because your content is connecting to stuff that's meaningful and substantial and influential and purposeful. I think if you just like randomly turned on CNN or Fox News or whatever, what this isn't a this isn't a which outlet thing but like you spend five minutes on think you'd be terrified and turn it off like yes. dude we all hate each other our politics are in the trash and we all need masks because we're going to die of coronavirus like right. it, it it is just so laced with this heavy-handed and again all those things are real and should be discussed and I'm not discounting um any of the actual issues we have to deal with but like it, it makes sense that your stuff is resonating deeply because people you you there's the perfect verb you use the word thirsty for um something meaningful and connected and like oh man like to stare in the face um yeah that the time is fleeting like we do matter and the fact that like um yeah 41 year old super powerful wealthy dude could like that that goes in an instant teaches us to live with Urgency and meaning and purpose and all those things. So, keep going, man. Like the what the the work you're doing is is um, is super super influential, man. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and we're we're almost out of time. We're out of your time, and I I, I uh, am really grateful for it. And this deserves its own show, so maybe it will be its own episode. Um, but give us the quick. And again, it's shifting gears a little bit, but you've got this project that is really neat called "Selfie with the Soldier." Um. Tell us that story, and then we'll we'll link to it in the show notes, and maybe have you back on to, to talk more yeah. about it. But I think it's such a powerful, um, and again another example of your kind of living with intention.
0: Yeah. So it's a it's an interesting story in that I grew up around uh, my grandfather. Both my grandfathers were military. My my dad's father was a Buffalo Soldier, World War One. Mm. My grandpa, my mom's dad, was a sergeant in the Army, World War. To oh. an uncle I'm close to this day, it's a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. Matter of fact, I'll visit him this evening. He's 90, ninety, ninety, ninety-one. Got another uncle that was an Army Ranger, Korea. So these people had an impact on raising me. I never served. They had an impact on raising me. So fast forward to about uh, four or five years ago. I think four years ago, I was, I was in an airport. Um, the Raleigh-Durham Airport, North Carolina and I remember seeing a guy and he had a fatigues on, right? He has camo on jacket, pants hat, boots, backpack full camo and so and when you go through security to get up to the gate you have to go up an escalator and then you're up and so I just remember looking at this guy and thinking man, is he going to war? Or is he coming home? I don't know happening, so I saw him turn left up there, and I got was behind him. I got up there, i looked for my gate. I turned left too, and I look and I see this guy disappearing to the crowd, and no one talked to him, no one said anything. He was just kind of, and I I remember thinking to myself, that that can't happen. Those are the he those are the heroes, right? Those are the people that we should be stopping in a airport and and getting a selfie with them, right? And so I came up with this concept, selfie with the soldier that hey, you could take take a selfie and so how it is, if you doesn't matter what your social media platform, if you hashtag that selfie with the soldier, we'll that's pull cool. it and get it on our, our yeah. on our site. <clears throat> and it's just a way to honor veterans that I think and not everybody wants their picture taken in that. Sure, cool. Sure. But they should have the option. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And also, I mean, if I'm in a restaurant and somebody's in uniform, they're not paying for that meal, mm. if I see them, okay? But I, 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 I'd I, like that to be the way it is in this country, that if you're Absolutely. in uniform, you can't pay for a meal because somebody got it. Mm. They don't know I got it. All they know is where's the check? The server's it's taken, care it's of. taken care of. Yep. Thank you for your service. Boom. And it's a small token, but it's a big deal. So it's huge that's how the uh, soldier was born. And so if you look in there, <clears throat> it's not just the selfies, right? You've got people written letters to their cool. loved ones, right? Some of them posthumously. Mm. Powerful stuff. Mm. A lot of encouraging. little kids have drawn pictures. they're in there. And uh, we partnered with a few um, companies that uh, have, have helped out and that's the other thing too. We don't we don't take any money. If you want to help a veteran, we connect the veteran with your organization. boom, that's it. So we don't there's not a penny that we're profiting on that. So anyhow, That's great. it was really neat that a company had reached out to us and wanted to help a needy veteran. And so we're like, okay, you know, yeah, we can do that. And you know, it was in the Kansas city area as a matter of fact. And so I was like, yeah, you know, no problem. <laughs> well, what I of found course. very quickly is needy <laughs> veterans don't want to be found. Okay. They don't. And, uh, to, and to get them to come to an event is very difficult. Mm. And so we had to, um, be creative to get this veteran. But he had uh, fought and suffered from PTSD over a decade and was really trying to get his life together and uh, wanted to go back to school. And his mother had, you know, she was kind of at wits end. She'd exhausted all her financial resources to help him. So he was driving this old truck and it was, that uh, thing had close to 300,000 miles on it. It's a rust bucket. Matter of fact, he felt like it was unsafe, so he wouldn't take his daughter in it if he wanted to pick up his daughter he would borrow his mom's car and take her places so we're able to get him on veterans day to this event and under the guise that hey you're going back to school this company's going to give you 500 bucks towards your tuition you need so he's like so that he agreed to come and so it was a celebration of the veterans and uh you know they called him up there and gave him um, uh Yeah, I still get emotional That's awesome. talking about it, but uh, they give him a check uh, for 5,000 mm-hmm. bucks. So he's like, oh, man, I yeah, can't believe this. And they say, oh, yeah, gets better. See that car sitting out there? The Titled. It's got your name on it. It's paid for. And then the keys. Couldn't And I remember, you can find that picture on the site, and he's it's this red uh, Ford just below the Taurus, the Ford Fusion. Okay, he's got the door open and he's just leaning, and he's just got his head on the door. Oh. And that picture just said everything. And uh, his mother said that, that that was a life changer for him. It gave him a sense of pride and it gave him hope. And you know, from that day forward, and and you know, when he got up on the stage, he he just said a few words. He said, "Thank you," and I will earn. And he has, so that's that's the power of this stuff. And uh, you know, I'm not a I'm not a fan of war at all. I don't I I don't want to fight. I don't want us to ever have to fight. But I think when troops have to fight, that when they come home, we we need to support them. And so that makes sense. So uh, so that was that, and you know, it's a way for me to honor my grandfathers and honor my uh, my uncles. Who were influential in my life, and I wouldn't be here without them. Those men, mm. and uh, my two uncles are still alive. They're up in age, are still alive, and so uh, um, powerful. Man. Just uh, so that's something that we've done, and uh, just that's our community service uh, that we we do, and it's uh, it's important to me. And and so that's my. It's a small way to give back. Yeah.
1: So. Oh man. I've, everybody felt that. F- that feeling with you, man. I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, Okay, good night. On that note, um, we end every show with the same five questions, and um, just whatever comes to mind. So, some of them are simple, one of them's heavy. (laughs) So, here we go. Um, You mentioned books. What's the last book you read or listened to?
0: Wow, you know, um, Malcolm Gladwell's talking, Talking to Strangers. That's a just finished that one. How was that? It's uh, on my list, man. Audiobooks, powerful, you know, it's a different. Uh, okay. I think that this is going to be a format for audiobooks to come because, you know, he had musicians in there that sang songs. He had actors, huh. voice actors that came in and, and would give different dialogue. Of course, he narrated, you know, he had clips from different huh. interviews. It's fascinating how he interjected all that. But it really changed my view on, you know, how we view one another. And I think mm. it's a must for everyone. That once you go through that, you understand, it will help you be less judgmental of mm. other people and realize that you really don't know what's going on and uh, give each other a wider berth. And so I think it's an essential book for just an educational standpoint. Mm. It's a little different than the things he's done, but he had a ton of research to back everything up. So of course he did. Fascinating, <laughs> yeah, fascinating. That's great, yeah, awesome. awesome.
1: Um, <clears throat> what would you do right now if you weren't
0: afraid? <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, what would I do now if I wasn't afraid? <sighs> you know what? I would uh, I would approach some of the great sports teams uh, in the country. Yeah. I would approach some of the, the huge uh, conglomerate organizations in the country and say, hey, I've perfected the people success formula. I have 10 Ten principles that positively move people to yeah. greatness, and you need this. I would I would, I would, would go after those organizations, and I'd talk to Nick Saban and say, hey, I can make you better. Let's go. I know you've been great. Bill Belichick, I know you've been great. I can make you better. I believe that. I can take any good leader and make him great. I can take any great leader and make him world class, I can take any world class leader and make him transcendent. So... Boom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well said, man. Well said. Yeah.
1: Um, I love it. Um, it. If if people knew this about you, they would think you're kind of weird or odd. Are there any little weird tics about you or any kind of nuances several. or superstitions?
0: Several. I think uh, one for me is that when I can't sleep, I do research. I get up. Mm. I don't, I'm not going to turn on late night HBO. Uh, I'm going to boot up Google and say, hmm, let me... <laughs> Type in a question. I'm gonna learn some stuff. Like that's awesome. me. I gotta. I I just curious. I can't yeah. get enough knowledge fast enough, and that's my goal is get it faster. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. I love it. Um What's your favorite place on earth?
0: Wow. Favorite place on earth. Besides Tom Osborne Memorial <laughs> Stadium or whatever, <laughs> whatever it's called. Uh, you know, I'd say my office. Actually, my office. I have it set up exactly how I want it. Uh, I've got surrounded by books. It's in my home, so my family's close by. That's awesome. Um, and then I've got you know my Xbox over there. I've got my television over there. I've got three monitors that I I just feel so creative when I sit in that chair. Yeah. And my printer, everything's right there. Uh, my goals, all my whiteboards are there, and uh, I just get in that space, and I know we're gonna do some special stuff. That's great, man.
1: Are you a vision? kind of board guy like you mentioned whiteboard and mm-hmm. like what what's that look like when you outline goals yes yeah, so that's not part of the question I would yeah just, so I'm I have curious.
0: them written so I can look at any time and see all my whiteboards and my different goals for social media or revenue goals for my organization or or my my methodology cool. uh, right or what I have going and then as far as the vision board I struggled with vision board for a long time until I figured this out because your vision board, you put mm-hmm. that together and it's got all these big dreams. But if you go on the road, which I'm on the road a lot well, your vision boards at home, right? So I put it into PowerPoint. So mm-hmm. my vision board travels with me. That's awesome. I, I love it. Yeah, that's fun. And then I have a pyramid, a personal pyramid of success. I got this from Phil Helmut Helmuth's book, hashtag positivity is book. I recommend that. And he had this pyramid so my success pyramid has everything in it that I need to do on a daily basis in order to be successful, so I look at it every day. So it's got all these pillars, right, these blocks, and then on the ground that that pyramid is built on is all my I am statements, and all those I am statements resonate to me specifically. Awesome. So if I accomplish that pyramid, uh, everything else will take care of itself. I love it, man.
1: All right, last one. When it's all said and done, what do you want to be remembered for?
0: You know, I've thought a lot about this one and uh that I made a difference. Right? That the fact that I was born and I was on this planet for how much every time I get, that I made a positive difference in the world. Boom.
1: I love it. Well you did today, my friend. Um, where can people follow along? We'll we'll link to Selfie with the Soldier and we'll I'm gonna we're gonna dig up that picture of that that young man
0: getting in that yeah, Ford Fusion. You'll see um, it, yeah. we'll we'll pop it'll that on there. It. Yeah, yeah, it's just a great picture. I just couldn't so, yeah, so dot PeopleSuccessLabs.com. If you uh, find me on LinkedIn, Dr. Charlie Cartwright uh, is there, or if you put in the, the company Culture Doctor, right? That's, love it. That's me in, in LinkedIn as well. You can follow me there, and uh, those are the best ways to, to get a hold of me and interact with me and see my content.
1: I love it. Dr. Yeah. Charlie, I am, uh, man, super, super grateful for your time. Um, I think everybody's going to benefit from our hour and 12 minutes that we've spent together um and you speak of like hey warren buffett in your living room costs an hour uh, or it costs a million bucks your your speaking fee isn't that much but it is it is heavy man and and for you to spend this much time uh for free with with folks i think they're gonna um really resonate so we're grateful for your time man
0: yeah i'm grateful to be here thank you so much for having me uh as your guest has been an honor awesome thank you whoa
1: What a story with Dr. Charlie. That was fascinating and really grateful for his wisdom that he imparted. Um, We will link to his website and his social media accounts in show notes. And if you'd be so kind, please don't hesitate or be shy or bashful in your uh, ability to review and rate our podcast where you are listening to this right now. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Until then, go live a meaningful story.